It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome into the Sports Objective, our matinee special, as we have Bubba, a very special guest. We've been looking forward to this interview all week. and glad to have him on. Absolutely. Next week, we'll have the head coach of the Pirates, Joe Dooley, on. Uh, today, we're very excited to catch up with Jamie Shaw from the Absolute Basketball Experience. Uh, uh, I'm familiar with him from the last couple months. I've watched a lot of his content on YouTube and also his podcast. So welcome into the show, Jamie. We're glad to have you. Thank you guys very much for having me. Very excited to, to sit here and talk some basketball. Uh, i tell you one thing, the great thing about uh, Jamie, that Bubba knows how big a basketball fan I am. And uh, being a fan since, of the Pirates since 1986, going to school there, graduating, uh, it's very exciting time in basketball as far as the East Carolina men's basketball and women's basketball. This particular case, I know we're talking about men's, but very exciting time to have Joe Dooley. I know we lost Rafael Chilius. Um, we're going to miss him. understand pers- uh, for personal reasons why he goes back to Connecticut. But I know Coach Dooley's going to do an excellent job, and whoever he hires uh, as a, another uh, coach in uh, the program, there's a lot of buzz. This is probably Bubba. Don't you think this is the most buzz we've had since the CIT run in 2013? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, people were understandably frustrated with the lack of success at East Carolina in basketball over the years, but I think the commitment um, probably definitely greater than it's ever been um, in terms of facilities and doing the things you need to do to give Coach Joe Dooley an opportunity to be successful. And what do you? Uh, I wanted to ask you, Jamie. What do you know about uh, Coach Dooley? And obviously, we know about your work, but uh, what about? Uh, we'll start off with Coach Dooley and maybe the coaching the program at East Carolina right now. Yeah, so uh, Coach Dooley, Joe's a he's a fiery guy. He's very, very basketball savvy, very smart. Um, he he's he kind of he, he um he's a coach's coach, I guess. He's very disciplinarian. He wants things done. He, he he's meticulous when it comes to the final specifics of basketball and doing things the right way and everything. So he's a very good basketball mind. Um, and, and he's, he's getting things going. I mean, getting no fair kind of this stuff for ECU and, and all that kind of stuff bought, bought a little national buzz to it, bought some excitement to it. And, um, you know, the, the roster looks completely different, uh, now than from, uh, when he first came on. So he's getting, I guess, his guys in. Yeah, it certainly does. He executed that major roster overhaul prior to yeah, last, last season that you, that you referenced. And, um, in addition to that, um, you did have Seth Leday leading the program. You have Derek Kwanza coming in. Uh, what can you tell us about Derek? He's a guy that's been up at Hargrave Military, a seven-footer, and he'll give the Pirates, at least at this point, unless anybody else leaves the program, a four-seven-footer. Yeah, so he um, so he played his high school ball at Village Christian in Fayetteville. Uh, he played a summer ball with Garner Road, uh, David West. Um, so he's very familiar with working out and worked out with David West and trained with David West and all that kind of stuff. He played this past year up at uh, Hargrave Military. Um, he's a he's a true big. He's a rim protector. Uh, he's a rebounder. He plays hard and he knows his role. He's not going to do anything outside of his uh, outside of his skill set. He's going to put in the dunk spot. He tries to tear the rim off every time he goes up and dunks it. Um, but he's going to provide rebounding and uh, you know shot blocking from from the get go. Uh, Jamie, I was really excited recently uh, about the addition of uh, – I, I was very excited from New Jersey to have uh, Farrakhan uh, coming to East mm-hmm. Carolina. What do you know about him? Uh, we're very excited locally in Greenville and Empire Nation to have him as a pirate. 
Sure. He, well, he's, he's a known name. He's a national entity. Uh, he's a viral um, type of player. Very athletic, very explosive, very quick twitch. Um, he's somebody who should come into this league uh, and be able to compete with the ball in his hands immediately with the types of teams that are in, in the league. Um, you know, you're talking the Cincinnati's, the Wichita State's, and all those people. It's a very tough league. I don't think people realize how really good the league is. Um, but, you know, he should be somebody who, who has the name recognition, and he should be somebody who's got the skill set to be able to actually come in and compete in this league from the point guard position from day one. In addition to Derek Kwanson and Noah Farrakhan, um, we have a preferred walk-on from the Outer Banks of First Flight High School. So he's coming from a small school, but this guy could light it up. Um, Average nearly 30 points a ball game, really shot the three well. Dylan Blake, can I tell us what you know about Dylan? Well, uh, Dylan, you know, he's going to graduate. I, I don't know when they graduate, a couple weeks or so. Um, top 20 score all time in North Carolina history. Top three wow. three-pointers made in all time in North Carolina history. Um, he, he's a very prolific bucket getter. And, and as you said, he's a, he's a shooter in uh, deep range. Um, you know, he's also young. I, I don't, I, he's going to graduate high school at 17 years old. Um, wow. So there's still some time for growth there, about six foot one. Um, he's just a, a tough, hard-nosed competitor. He's not just a three-point shooter either. Um, if you look at his stats and stuff, you can't be a top 20 all-time scorer just being a, a one-trick pony type of deal. Um, you know, so he, uh, you know, he's got some room to grow. He's got some time to grow, and it's going to be interesting to see what he ends up being, um, you know, as his time in East Carolina you know, as he has his time in East Carolina. And Jamie, when it comes to him, Bubba, how many times did you and I talk about on overtime that we needed the, about uh, Bubba? If you don't know Jamie, Bubba is uh, the, the stats guy. He's really good with stats. But the one stat that was with the eyeball test was three-port shooting was beyond. I mean, it was it was really bad. I mean, I don't know any other way mm -hmm. to to say it nicely. And one of the things that that really is great to hear because we desperately need people that can shoot. And um, that's one of the things the last couple of years, Dooley, I think has been very frustrated with is there's been so many close games. Uh, Dooley's got it competitive and there's there's guys have got to step up and make shots. And uh, above, how many times have we said that over and over again with three pointers that man, the, I mean, if we could just make, I told Bubba, if you look at the close games last year, you make two or three threes, you win the ball game. It was that like so. That's great to hear that Dylan's coming in and hopefully can make a contribution very early on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, he he can shoot the ball without question. Uh, that, that's that's not be an issue. The the strength thing and the size thing and all that kind of stuff. That's probably what led him to be a a walk on. Um, but the, the shooting is, is something that will translate and, and will be there. Absolutely, and we have some guys. Um, like Tremont Robinson White and then some others. Um, and then, um, sorry, um, out of El, out of El Paso, uh, Tristan Newton. Um, Tristan Newton's actually our top assist guy this year. So with the guys we have that can distribute the ball, if we ha have someone who maybe he can provide some spot minutes and uh, really provide that outside shot that we're sorely missing. Sure. Jay um, Miles was a very good shooter in high school as well. Yes, well, JJ Miles. Um, I was, I was going to mention JJ. JJ, as the season wore on, he really came along and uh, started shooting the ball more confidence, and uh, I think finished the year right around thirty-four percent. So he's someone that I would certainly expect to have a, a big year next year. Uh, you could tell that he was wanting the ball late in games, where some of the other guys were shying away from it and um, going into a shell, so to speak. 
Yeah, no doubt. And it's always nice, too. Hopefully he does stand up. It's always nice when Eastern North Carolina kids have good years at East Carolina. Kind of things seem to work out well with that happens. No doubt. And, you know, that's the thing, uh, Jamie, that if you look at the big picture for Joe Dooley, this is going to be year number three. And I really believe with that he's, as you said early on in the interview, that he finally has his guys. I've said all along with him and even the football coach, Mike Houston, not the second year, but the third year is going to be a breakout year for Houston with the football program. But this particular case with the basketball program, you got to feel like with Jaden Gardner being a junior, you've got a lot of guys that um, they were starting to really come together last year. Um, it took them some time. We had injuries in the preseason um, early in the summertime. And the, some of the, we were talking about Trayvon Robinson White. He, uh, Joe Dooley back, I think it was February, one of those uh, conference games. And we're in a literally in a, um, Post game show, a post game press conference, and he was talking about how he's not even near 100 percent, and he was making a lot of great moves, and he wasn't even 100 percent. So he's somebody, and a lot of the players, I think the chemistry was one of the issues that I had going into the season, and I think it's just going to take time, not only to build the culture, build the program, but the chemistry seemed like the guys were having fun, and they finally started to find their way once conference play started. Sure, and I think it's very important, too, you know, you mentioned this is year three and stuff, for a coach to develop an identity of the team. What type of team is it going to be? Is it going to be a team that's skilled, that shoots, that plays hard, tough, athleticism, all that kind of stuff? And, and coming in from the previous staff, um, you know, you, you have to bring in your guys that build your identity. I feel like he, he's bringing in his guys, his tough, athletic guys, um, who are going to bring that identity uh, forward to the to, to the program? All right, Damian. One of the guys I wanted to ask you about in the 2021 class. Um, let's start off with Bobby Pettiford. Um, Bobby's a six-one point guard out of South Granville High School, and I know uh, I've watched your your clips and uh, interview with him on your YouTube channel. So tell us what you know about Bobby. Well, Bobby's a, a quick and athletic, uh, kind of a compact point guard. He averaged 22 points, seven and a half assists last year for a 33 uh, and one team at South Louisville High School. Uh, he's very explosive and very excitable. Um, you know, being, you know, his size, six foot, six one, you know, he's still got elbow above the rim athleticism stuff. Um, he's very, um, he's very tough. He's very motivated. He's a projectable defender as well. And he's somebody who I think, um, had the summer, had they been able to play this summer, he could have really exploded onto the scene playing uh, with the CP3 team on the EYBL. But uh, we'll see what he does this next year. Uh, and he's still somebody who could really blow up. And um, I, I, he's just a very excitable game uh, game to him. But he's also very poised and very um, explosive. And, Jamie, that's one of the things when you were talking about the character of the coach and what kind of team he wants. Uh, I think physical, the physicality obviously is is a given, but I think the key for Joe, and I would say I'm um, uh, I'm not him, but I would speak for him and say that he's looking for mental toughness. That's the the key to, to ingredient for Dooley is you got to be mentally tough. Basketball is a very difficult game. Um, people make it look easy, but it's not as easy as it looks. Sure, especially from the point guard position. You want your point guard to be able to right. pick things up. He's got the ball in his hand for the majority of the time. You know, you, you you want the person that has the ball in their hand to make good decisions. Um, next, I wanted to ask you about Lucas Taylor. East Carolina right now obviously has uh, Jaden Garner, tremendous 
talent out of Heritage High School in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, Jaden, uh, let's be honest, if, if the Pirates were better and had more wins this year, he had probably been the player of the year in the American. But we know how that can go. Uh, but but Jaden's well on his way to resetting, uh, rewriting the record book at East Carolina. But uh, talk about Lucas Taylor, 6'6", shooting guard out of Heritage. Yeah, um, as you mentioned, they were uh, same high school and all that kind of stuff. East Carolina was actually Lucas's first uh, college offer. That really sticks out to him. Talked to him a couple uh, weeks ago, and, you know, th- that was a very big moment for him. Obviously, him and Jaden in contact, talking to each other and stuff. But Lucas is a shot maker. I mean, he's a, he's just a big-time shot maker. He's, he's 6'6". He's got great length, um, and he's got a nose to put the ball in the basket. Um, with some natural athleticism and stuff, he's a former football player, so he's got some toughness to him as well. Um but his, uh, you know, his calling card is going to be his ability to make shots, and he does that at a high level. He's a 40% shooter last year from three, averaged 22 a game, um, you know, gets in the mid-range, one, two dribble pull-ups and all that kind of stuff. And as he continues to kind of hone his game and, and uh, go, we're talking about a possible, like, uh, league leader in scoring type of situation for him as he continues to, to hone his craft and, and, and get down the finer arts of scoring the basketball and shooting and his spots and his balance and all that kind of stuff. And Jamie, when it comes to you were talking about earlier again in the interview about the American being it's a great league. It's very underrated uh, for sure. Uh, when it comes to are there players um, like him, uh, Lucas Taylor, or are there other players in North Carolina beyond that Coach Dooley and uh, the East Carolina staff are looking at that can really compete in the American? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the list that y'all sent beforehand, um, the players that they've offered. I think you find a common bond with a lot of them is the fact that they're skilled and can shoot the ball, and they come from winning programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we already talked about uh, Bobby Pettiford. We already talked about Lucas Taylor. You add in DeMarco Dunn from Westover, who was 30-0 and 0 last year. He averaged 20 a game, shot wow. 45%. You have Eric Vanderheide from Millbrook High School, who's a perennial power, six foot nine. He also shot 42% from three. You have B.J. Freeman from Clayton High School. Um, you know, they won, I think, 30 games last year as well, um, and you know, 26 games. Uh, you know, he's a scorer. He's like a Gary average 21 a game. Um, you know, and then you add Marcus Ilver from uh, Massanutten, six foot eight. Uh, he's Estonian. Uh, he was the lead for the Estonian national U19 team last year. He's at uh, Massanutten now. Uh, this is his first year over. And then Gabe Wisnitzer at Hargrave, who was Fifi Kwanzaa's uh, high school teammate this past year. He's a seven foot 2021 guy who can really shoot the ball. And, and he likens himself to a Luca Garza. Um, if you talk to them and all that kind of stuff. So all the guys kind of, they're on in the area, even Breon Pass, who Breon Pass won, um, I think they only lost one or two games this past year. He had a 50-point game, averaged 24 points. He was all-state in both football and basketball this past year um, with Breon. So the, the guys they're going after are guys who are skilled but also have some toughness to them, and they come from winning programs. Um, so that's, you know, kind of it's winning is winning – is a habit. It's not something that you can teach or learn. It's something that you do. And the fact that they're bringing those type of guys in and looking and recruiting those type of guys, is, is, it should be a good sign. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, one of those names you mentioned, Eric Vanderheisen uh, from Millbrook High School. I know um, I've watched his highlights on your YouTube channel. just tremendous. And he's really blown up over the last eight eight months or so. You said going, going from an unknown, excuse me, to uh, a top 100 guy in the in the nation and top five in North Carolina. So, so hone in on him a little bit and tell us a little bit more about Eric. Well, Eric, um, both his parents played professionally overseas. 
Um, so he comes from a basketball family. His brother is now at uh, Bucknell. Jake just graduated last year, just ended his freshman year at Bucknell. Um, he, you know, Eric is a long, uh, seven foot wingspan, six foot nine, and he just shoots the cover off the ball. He's incredibly skilled. Um, he's, he's, he's a pure shooter and he can really pass the ball and see the floor, um, as well. So, um, you know, th- there's a world of upside there. He transferred from Ravenscroft to Millbrook this past year. This was his first year at public high school. Um, I think they only lost two or three games this past year at Millbrook and he's going to be the leader this year coming in with Will Felton. Um, skilled. Uh, good straight line athlete and uh, can really, really shoot the ball. Jamie, are there uh, are there any guys that maybe are not on the East Carolina radar or just in general that you're really high on that are maybe uh, diamonds in the rough? Those are the kind of guys I look for is, you know, you can put five stars and a whole bunch of stars by a guy's name and they can be a bust or you can have a guy that's maybe a two or three star guy that plays like a five star. Do you have any of those kind of guys that maybe underdogs? That's, those are the guys I look, look for. Well, the fortunate thing for East Carolina is they're right in the middle of North Carolina. You know, North Carolina every single year for the past five years has put out 60 to 65 Division One players in every class in, wow. in basketball, and they spread that out all throughout the country. Now you come in in South Carolina, who has, uh, you know, this is this is the best class in 2021 South Carolina seen um, probably in the past 15, 20 years, and you have Virginia, who has a ton of talent as well. So they're right in the middle of a three-state area that puts out probably around 100 Division I players every single year. So while a lot of kids will get the high-up type of um, type of exposure and stuff, there's always going to be Jaden Gardners um, around the world, uh, around the area, who are going to fund under the radar and, and find fits. So they're, they're more than likely going to be a ton of names that turn up uh, between now and then. It's just a hard time right now because coaches aren't able to get on the road because of the whole team, because of the coronavirus. The NCAA pushed the live periods back. Um, to June, it's looking like they might push it back again. Um, you know, <clears throat> so they're not able to be on the road recruiting and stuff. They're not able to be in the gyms to actually see the kids and identify the kids. So they're having to scour through a ton of film, be on the phones and, you know, working, working that and, uh, all that type of stuff. So, uh, the fortunate thing for East Carolina is they are in a very fertile area for talent, for basketball talent, um, where kids are found, diamonds in the rough are found every single year. And like you're saying, um, I can think of guys on some names escape me in the moment, but uh, guys that have gone to BCU, Old Dominion, uh, programs like that in the Atlantic 10 or um, upper echelon programs uh, in the Colonial at, at uh, one point in time. Uh, just talk about, um, I mean, I, I really think if you get some of those guys to stay at home, then that will help Joe Dooley get this program to where we all want it to be. Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, you have right now, I mean, Nate Hinton from Charlotte went to Houston. You have Caleb Mills from Asheville who went to Houston. You have Ty Bowman who went to uh, Boston yeah. College. Jerome Robinson from Raleigh who went to Boston College. I mean, the list goes on of, of players who left the state uh, and ended up being pros. That You know, none of those guys were on – well, Nate Hinton ended up being on a top 100 list, but none of the other guys ended up being top 100 type players. And, uh, you know, I think for Jerome Robinson, Boston College beat out Richmond. Uh, for them, you know, so there's always going to be talent, always going to be players, and there's always going to be guys that fall into the radar who end up, you know, Tra- uh, Trey Murphy went out to Rice, now he's going to Virginia. Trey Wirtz from Charlotte went out to um, Santa Clara, now he's going back to Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, there's just every single year, there's a lot of guys. Jamarius Burton went to Wichita State from Charlotte, now he's coming back to Texas Tech. 
Um, you know, the list just goes on and on and on of guys who under radar aren't top 100 guys, whatever the case, and and you know end up having successful, if not NBA type careers. In addition to the men's side of things, I know I know you'll cover the women's game as well. Um, East Carolina has um, a coach entering her second season, Kim McNeil. And so, um, are there any women's prospects that you can tell us about that maybe the the Lady Pirates are in on? Um, well, on, on the women's side of things, it's a, it's a very new it's a very new venture. Um, so I I wouldn't I'm not as familiar with the women's basketball program at ECU as I am on the men's side. Well, definitely, they're doing a nice job. She and her husband Corey, and uh, they're mm-hmm. doing a nice job with the second year. So it'll, it's going to take some time. Uh, the second, uh, this will be the second season. By year three or four, you'll start to see. Speaking of toughness, uh, her defense is uh, one of the best in the country. Her system, and when you were talking about earlier about getting the players, uh, that's what it's, it, it's. It comes down to that all the time, right? It doesn't matter which sport you're looking at getting the right players. You can be the best coach in the world if you don't have the right players when it comes to college sports. I mean, what do you have? Yeah, I was talking to Lavelle Moten the other day, and he said the Jimmys and Joes are better than the X's and O's. So a coach is only as good as the players he brings in. The re- recruiting is the lifeblood of every major university. If you don't recruit well, if you don't get that get th- that done, you're, you know, your tenure at the school is not going to be very long. Obviously, one of the current events that's been taking place I actually just just finished up on the 10-part series, The Last Dance. And I know you talked about that uh, some on your YouTube and podcast. Uh, so just and tell us your thoughts on The Last Dance. And uh, were you a Jordan fan? Or I'm sure you, at the very least, you you respected Jordan. Yeah, no, it was, a, it, it was very cool to see. I think the access that we got um through that series throughout the time it was, it was it was impressive to be able to go behind the scenes to be able to go into the hotel room and, and the bus and the locker room and stuff and see how all those players interacted and they were able to go a little bit in depth too about some of the surrounding players you know some of the some of the stories they had about scotty pippen and dennis rodman and how phil jackson was able to handle the locker room of so many different personalities and i think it was cool to see you know, Scotty Pippen went to a small school. Dennis Robin went to small school, and they ended up in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think it was really cool to see toward the end there how Michael Jordan, how much he loved winning. Um, you know, I think it was episode seven or so, uh, whenever at the very end, the very last scene was him, you know, crying, saying, I'm going to push you, and if you don't like it, you can you can go somewhere else. And then he had to cut the scene because he started tears started coming down and stuff. Just the passion that it meant uh, to him. Uh, and that was was very eye opening and, and something that you know I think kids today need to see that uh, you know winning isn't easy and competing isn't easy um, and you have to if your best player is the one pushing the team to play the hardest that's usually a pretty good culture within the locker room so I think all that was really neat I thought it was really cool to see the different difference of the times um, I'm sure you know media people yourselves the, the amount of access that they had to these players. Mm-hmm. Uh, was unbelievable. I mean, it was unbelievable that they were sitting there like yeah. just chilling in the in, in the room with with nothing. Like Michael Jordan would just call up somebody and, and give an interview yeah. or whatever the case. I mean, the, the the access the media had to it was was unreal. But also too how how much the media could dictate the narrative back then as well. Um, with uh, you know you run one bad story in the in, in a major newspaper, and you know. It, it was just gospel. Like you, you couldn't fact check or anything like that because you know social media, and all that kind of stuff wasn't around. It's just like you won one story, and and and, and the media kind of was able to dictate the whole narrative as to everything that they wanted to happen. So, 
the players had to keep them on the good side and all that. So it, it was just very eye-opening with, with the change of times and, and all that kind of stuff as well. It made me miss uh, certainly basketball, Jamie, and certainly with the, the sports. It was nice to have something that we could, even though it was from the past, it was nice to have something we could reminisce looking at that time. I, I tell you one thing, with uh, Michael Jordan, I remember that, I think it was the 98 season, but that shot in game six, when he made that shot in uh, Utah, I was like, you know, that I really thought that was Utah's year. And when he made that shot, yeah. I, should, I said, I, I, I should have known that Jordan's going to have the shot. He's going to make it because you expect him. He has the ball, end of the game. They're probably going to win, even though it was, you know, Utah's year. They still didn't win it. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those iconic shots. I mean, uh, him sitting here, was, was, you know, buying Russell and a little push-off was it not. I don't know. It was just a good play. Crossed him over, came up, and just sitting there with it locked in. It's one of those iconic sports photos that you that yeah. you remember and one of those things that you're just not going to forget. You know, just like the Craig Elo shot that he had where he where he hit it hanging in the rim and then came up and jumped in the air and then the shoulder shrug. Like, he, there are some iconic photographs that were within his career, and that was absolutely one of them. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, the, there was no basketball being played, and it was good to see basketball and all that kind of stuff. The timing of this coming out was absolutely wonderful, mm-hmm. and the and the way that it is with this documentary, um, you know, because it's right in the middle of you know we're just coming off of, of Tiger King, which ended up being one of the biggest documentaries out there, and that's just how starved people were for any type of entertainment. Everybody exactly. loves Michael Jordan, everybody loves basketball, all that type of stuff. So for for, for them to drop this documentary. At the timing that they did, you know, I don't know what the numbers were, but I'm sure the numbers were absolutely astronomical when it comes to, like, in the all-time realm of documentaries and all that type of stuff. And just because people were starved for it and crazy for it, and, and it built kind of this underground cult type of following where that's all people were talking about. I know for um, as far as Forbes uh, Sports, they had the number a couple weeks ago. I haven't seen for, like, the last four episodes. I think it was five and six was something like a number, like, 5.6 million unbelievable numbers yeah. at this day and time for, and especially when you, uh, when you think about, you might get something like that for a live sporting event to think it was a documentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know ESPN no does question. an excellent job with 30 for 30, but that was unbelievable. And I was really happy for ESPN. I can't imagine what they're going through right now. Uh, not having the oh, no doubt. sports. Man, so yeah, I was looking the other day at it. They had a like rock skipping competition and and putt putt championships and stuff. It's like, oh man, they are starving for content. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. No doubt about it. Hey, you actually created a nice segue for me. Uh, unfortunately, I'm very sad to hear the passing of Jerry oh, Sloan, I saw that. Leg- mm-hmm. legendary Utah Jazz coach. That um, I, I wanted to bring that up in the open before we dove into some of the recruiting topics, but. Uh, slipped my mind. Um, I, I'd seen earlier this morning that he had passed away and I'd seen in the last few days that the mailman, Carl Malone, had said to please keep his former coach, um, Gary Sloan, in, in uh, thoughts and prayers. But uh, anyway, he, he was 78 years old and uh, just a tremendous career with the Jazz. Uh, un- unfortunately, he may not be remembered by some just because of the fact that he didn't win that NBA title. Um, he played in a couple of finals and then just pretty much in the playoffs year in, year out, uh, with the exception of a few years. Uh, and then he obviously had played for more than a decade as well uh, with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, so just talk a little about your memories of Jerry Sloan. That's a guy that uh, I was more familiar with because obviously at East Carolina, Blue Edwards, he had played for the Jazz and uh, been with Coach Sloan for several seasons. 
Yeah, I think Jerry Sloan's going to, you know, he's very underrated. As you said, he's not going to, maybe people might not remember him. But I, I think, you know, even going back to this documentary and stuff, his teams were always competitive. His teams always were built for that. And, and uh, you know, he was, he was the guy who kind of, you can't find an NBA team these days who doesn't play through the pick and roll. And obviously that was their bread and butter way back when, whenever that might not have been necessarily what was vogue in basketball those days was the pick and roll. Uh, but innovative mind, um, you know, ran some, some great offense and great stuff. His teams were tough. His teams played hard. His teams played physically. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was a great NBA coach. And I think his tenure with the Utah Jazz, you know, as you see these days even now, you know, if a coach lasts more than three years with one NBA team, then, you know, that's, that, that, that's something, something special. Um, you know, he was there for so long and, and won so many games and did so many great things. It just so happens that he was in the same era as, you know, Michael Jordan. And Michael yes. Jordan didn't like, didn't like losing too much. So, um, you know, he, he, he was great. He was, he was, he's an all, all-time great coach. And, um, you know, hopefully he gets remembered as such. Yeah, that you're talking about that uh, back-to-back finals. And like I was saying uh, just previously, the 98 season, I really thought that was Utah Jazz that their year. But, you know, I always say, uh, Jamie, that not not always the best team wins. And I think they mm-hmm. even alluded to that in the documentary, the very fact Jordan did um, when when Phil Jackson made that last dance. That 98 team, um, they were good, but they were not as dominant as they had been in previous years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then especially when you come through with Scotty Pippen having the back issues and, you know, uh, Dennis Rodman going to, uh, what, Vegas Monday Night Raw. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, it's it's just one of the, it's just one of those things. You know, things sometimes are meant to happen that happen, and um, you know, Michael Jordan just, I, I don't, I, I just don't think, especially the way they framed this whole last, the last dance, and that was kind of the, the mantra from the get go. They had the playbook from the beginning of the year, the last dance, and I think everybody kind of knew that it was culminating this year. You know, I, it, it just felt like kind of a destiny type of situation that no matter who or what that the Bulls were gonna gonna get it done. John Stockton to Carl Malone is certainly uh, one of the better tandems or connections of all time for sure and I loved watching them play uh, John Stockton and Larry Bird. Larry Bird is my favorite player. Uh, watching them pass the basketball is just unbelievable and uh, guys nowadays you certainly encourage them to go on YouTube and watch the way those guys play the game and distribute the basketball. Well, John Stockton has two records that might not ever be broken in the NBA with his Piston Steals record. So, I mean, he's, he's, you know, he doesn't get talked about as much as he should as being one of the all-time greats. An amazing one. Sorry. sorry, go ahead, Dave. I was just going to make an additional comment to add to that, Jamie, the very fact that if you think about, and I think they may have talked about the documentary, I'll have to watch it again, but, um, but for me, when I saw that finals, you don't appreciate – how many great players were on that floor? I mean, you have with the mailman, you have John Stockton, you have Dennis Rodman, when you have Michael Jordan, you have uh, Scotty Pippen. I mean, you got, you've got a number of players right there. that are some of the greatest that we've ever seen. And they were in that mm-hmm. particular finals. Oh, no question. I mean, it, it, it was something you, you go back to and you watch and you almost got the, the same chills watching the, the documentary that you did, you know, live during the, you know, when it actually happened. And, you know, looking back on it, there's a, there's a lot of points scored, a lot of stuff given out. There were a lot of lot, lot of numbers on that floor for sure. 
No question. Another thing I noticed was the another thing I noticed, Bubba. I'm sorry, I was just gonna say real quick is the very fact of how clean the game is now. That was one of the criticisms I had was back when the Pistons were winning, they alluded to that right before Jordan and them really took the stride to beat them and to win everything against the Lakers in ninety one. That time when I was in high that was the time I was in high school and it was just brutal to watch NBA. They were taking each other's head off. Some people may like that. I just really hated that period of the NBA, the late 80s, early 90s. It was dangerous. It, it was very dangerous. And, and for the people to be able to get back up and keep playing and all that kind of stuff, and you know, it, it's, a, it's a testament to them. The, the one thing that I noticed, too, during this documentary also was, you know, those are very violent fouls the Pistols were dishing out. Yeah. You know, the, the Mahomes and the Lambeers, those are very violent. Yeah. yeah. And I'm very surprised that more people didn't bounce up ready to fight than, than they did. I, you know, I'm, I'm from I'm – from South Carolina, Fall City, South Carolina, and stuff. And you best believe if you know you're on the playground playing, and somebody fouls in that way, there's we're, we're going to figure out how tough somebody is, and in, in, real quick, <laughs> not not saying we would get up and win the fight, but we were going to find out. <laughs> While we're on the topic of John Stockton, uh, that's one of the things. Obviously, he was in addition to the way he passed the basketball. Uh, it was very noted, uh, notable uh, how he wore his shorts. And that's one of the things, and just the way things are cyclical in the game, uh, even with uniforms, um, you had the Fab Five and the trend they set uh, wearing their shorts uh, ultra long, and now things are back to the way uh, guys are wearing them even shorter than John Stockton. There's a guy, um, Kenyonas from Memphis this year. He looked like he had a diaper on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they, um, you know, fashion trends are cyclical. You know, in, in, in 10 years, we'll probably have the shorts down to your ankles again. And then 10 years after that, it'll probably be, you know, shorts worn up and all that kind of stuff, too. So all fashion cyclical, but, you know, to each of them when it comes to comfort. Absolutely. Jamie, yeah. uh, kind of working in reverse a bit. I know in the open, I mentioned, um, obviously, now you're the absolute basketball experience previously with Phenom Hoop Report, uh, who had such a strong following. Uh, but just talk about and go back to your childhood. You're talking about being from South Carolina. Just talk about your love of the game of basketball and then um, just your progression into what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. So I, I grew up in, in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, went to, you know, all the way through primary school to high school there. And then I went to the University of South Carolina uh, for my uh, for schooling. I worked with the women's basketball program there. I coached uh, some JV basketball. I was getting my um, – I, I got two degrees, psychology, and then secondary education. I was, I was I was finishing my secondary education. We had to do practicals and stuff, so I would go to local high schools, and then at the high school became JV basketball coach and um, all that kind of stuff, and just kind of fell in love with, with basketball. Also helping with the women's team and being on the the practice team with that, and then uh, graduated college, went to the business world for ten years. I graduated in '04, went to the business world. For, uh, it was nine years, I guess, in 2013. Started doing the basketball scouting and recruiting. I, I left my left my job, uh, my six-figure job, and was like, you know what, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do it, but I love basketball. I was at the state championship game, saw Dave Tellup down there, and was like, I, I want to do that. So I put in my two weeks notice and, and said I'm going to do it and was very fortunate um, in, in, in my travels. Um, caught on pretty quickly and grew. Uh, met a guy named Rick Lewis, um, and we partnered up for the last seven years. Uh, we built Phenom Hoops from – uh, a company called Phenom Hoops from three events when I joined in 2013 to last year. We had uh, over 40 events with 22,000 kids that came through our doors and stuff. So 
became a very well-known national entity, a national voice for scouting and recruiting and everything. And uh, this past year, probably about six weeks ago, I, I left Phenom Hoops. Um, they went in a different, or I guess we both went in a different direction, different visions and stuff. So I, I ended up leaving and going uh, to start Absolute Basketball Company. Uh, it's going to be an event. It's going to be an event company. We're going to host events, but we're also going to cover events. So it's going to be, um, you know, tons of, if you go to our podcast, if you go to our YouTube channel, tons of interviews with uh, college coaches, with players, uh, with scouts and all that kind of stuff, kind of bringing everybody the, the gist of the basketball world. It's not just my opinion on players. We're, we're letting college coaches' voices be heard. We're letting the fans hear the college coaches' voices. We're letting the players' voices be heard. Um, you know, we're letting the, the, the transfers voices and, and then scouts from different areas and stuff talk about players and, and all that kind of stuff. So we're just trying to bring as much notoriety to the game of basketball as we possibly can. And how can people find you on as far as social media and uh, YouTube? I guess it's Absolute Basketball Experience. Yeah, so the podcast is the Absolute Basketball Podcast. It comes across all platforms on, uh, you know, Apple and uh, Spotify and all that. Uh, on YouTube, it's the Absolute Basketball Experience with Jamie Shaw. Um, on Twitter, it's at Jamie Shaw 5. On Instagram, it's at Jamie underscore Shaw 5. And that's J-A-M-I-E-S-H-A-W-E. It's going to be really interesting, the basketball season. Jamie, thank you so much. You were generous with your time uh, for this afternoon. I uh, hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. It's hard to believe it's already here, uh, the unofficial start of summer. So happy Memorial Day weekend early to you. And I look forward to hopefully we can have you on back in the summer, certainly as basketball season is approaching. Absolutely. I look forward to coming back. I had a really good time, guys. And, and thank you very much for having me. And please, uh, uh, you know, I look forward to coming back as, as often as possible. We appreciate the time, Jamie. Uh, excellent conversation about some of the top 2021 and 2022 prospects in the high school ranks in the state of North Carolina. And we look forward to having you back on the show down the road. Uh, speaking of basketball, Dave, uh, you had the opportunity on Friday afternoon to catch up with a guy who's seen uh, at least a half century, maybe more than a half century of basketball at the highest level, had the opportunity to cover John Havlicek, um, the Celtics great, also Larry Bird and so many other um, just tremendous players in Boston. And um, I'm talking about Bob Ryan. Bob Ryan, the four-time National Sports Writer of the Year with the Boston Globe. Also, you know him from the Sports Reporters on ESPN, a show that my family and I, or at least my dad and I, always watched uh, before going to church growing up. Uh, so um, and then other shows, part of an interruption, um, Around the Horn with Max Kellerman. So many shows that he's been on on ESPN, just extremely seasoned and um, excellent perspective on a variety of topics in this interview. And let's go ahead and go to that interview right now with Bob Ryan. Well, it's not every day that you can talk to one of your favorite journalists, formerly the Boston Globe and obviously of ESPN as well, and that is Bob Ryan. Bob, thanks so much for coming in and joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Wanted to have you on, talk about your career, and obviously uh, some of the current events. Maybe you can get your expert analysis uh, even now. Uh, obviously, with uh, one of the things uh, with COVID going on right now, I just read that right before we came on, uh, the NHLPA, they're looking at a deal to do a 24-game playoff uh, mm -hmm. proposal. Uh, just want to get your thoughts on maybe COVID and how has it affected uh, sports uh, from your for your for your mirror lens. Well, I think both of the winter sports were wise would be wise to just go with playoffs. 
the NBA, it's very simple uh, to, to – would have been very simple because there's a clear delineation in both conferences between the eighth team and the ninth team. The NHL, not so much. The NHL uh, would have to be arbitrary, and uh, they're going to expand it, I guess, to do it, and that's, that's the easy way out. The gutty way out would have been to set up uh, an arbitrary uh, uh, method of, of – cutting it down to, to 16, but apparently that's not what they were proposing. But I think it would have been very simple for the and would be very simple for the NBA to, to do it that way. As far as the, how are your feelings as far as uh, one of the things that we're dealing with locally at our, our alma mater at East Carolina is will we have college football? Will there be oh. fans? What about fans as far as the leagues? It looks like it's not going to be fans, right? Right, they're talking they're not fans, and and I understand that. And uh, it's obviously there's no no nothing satisfactory. It's to make you're trying to make the best of an of an untenable, uh, almost impossible to grasp situation. That will and whatever decision is made is not going to please everybody. Uh, we know that. Uh, uh, but uh, it, we in order to have some competition, get seasons in, uh, get back, have give people something to watch on television uh, who are sports fans. Uh, it, this is the way it's going to have to be, uh, I, I would think, and uh, uh, not satisfactory. There's a very good column today in the New York Times by Jerry Longman who covered that Orioles game in 2015 without fans covered oh, it yeah. in the press box. And uh, he just describes what that's like and talk to some of the participants, and, and it's worthwhile reading to get a feel. Uh, but, you know, but this is all about providing uh, TV products uh, and, and saving some revenue uh, for these leagues. And that, uh, now, you mentioned college. College is a whole other matter. College is in endlessly complicated, much more uh, difficult to imagine how they're going to pull it off uh, uh, in, in college. Uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, one of which is that we are talking about a variety of states that have different uh, situations. Uh, you also have, uh, and of course, the, the travel situation. But uh, and and so it's just it's just very 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 difficult uh, to imagine how you're going to pull off a, a college season. I don't know how they're going to do it. I'll talk about football right away. Football. Uh, I think football would be wise. To, to adhere to the or go, subscribe to the idea of going to the spring. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's a, for, in two, for one time only, 2021, and, and go from there. And I, I guess that would be uh, it would be wise because you could start the first of the year, like New Year's or somewhere around there, I guess. And then, uh, or you said the spring, so it, actually you're talking like well, April, March, April. I mean, March, sometime April. in 2021. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I said spring, but just because. But uh, I'm certainly flexible in that regard. But I, I just, and and plus the, the big question in college, the number one question is, is there any rationale to having uh, sport activity on campuses that are not open to the general student body? And and that is the number one question. And the answer, the answer I would say is no. But uh, I speak from a perspective uh, in in Massachusetts where college sports are on the back burner compared to the pros. I do not speak from the perspective of someone who lives in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, right. uh, or other places of that ilk. Uh, and I know that the whole cultural impact and, and economic impact of college sports is, is very, very different in other areas of the country than in major urban areas. Well, let's talk about you with your career, obviously, and we can talk COVID as well, but... Uh... Certainly a huge fan of your work. Obviously, watch many Sundays on the sports reporters. I know you retired in 2017 uh, as far as uh, the Boston Globe. You've had so many things. There's so many uh, topics we could talk about, but one thing that comes to mind is certainly 
with the last dance when I was watching that over the last few weeks. Uh, I know that you covered uh, Celtics a lot. I was, as a kid, I loved that team growing up with Larry Bird. I could do, I can tell you the whole uh, mm. starting five. Uh, I know you wrote a book with Larry. Uh, what's, uh, what's one of my favorite players? What's Larry Bird like? Uh, well, first of all, he's a, sp- he's a very bright individual. Uh, he, he's a product of an environment in southwestern Indiana, Orange County, that did not prize education, that did not uh, uh, really encourage people to uh, move very far uh, once they were born from, from that living and dying and going through life in that county. And had he not been a superb basketball player, he would have been just maybe just another anonymous face uh, with a with a, uh, a tradesman job or some kind of a job, and and and, and would have lived a normal life. Uh, but he had this basketball gift, and then he was able to use it. Uh, he he didn't mind being portrayed as the quote hick from French Lake. He was far from it. Uh, he he was very savvy with people, very savvy with his career uh, outside um, basketball, uh, and. Um, uh, I got to know him uh, quite well and was uh, you know very pleased when he asked me uh, if I would be interested in working with him and doing the book of course the answer it took me about half a second to say of course <laughs> and it was a great it was a lot of fun to do with him and uh and it was a success and uh, you know it was the best successful book I ever had it had nothing to do with me obviously uh and uh, uh but uh, as a player I I always put it this way uh, as as a, for me the writer and him the player when he came into my life officially and uh, 1979, although I first saw him play, we can go back to that. I did see him play in college a year earlier in 78 in an NIT game uh, at home against Illinois State. And now he comes back and goes in the draft and gets picked by the Celtics and he goes back for his senior year. We all know what happened in 78-79 with ISU. So anyway, um, uh, where were we going with this? Oh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Well, where were we going with this? I'm sorry. Talking about oh right so uh, Larry uh, is on top of things uh, always and and uh, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to I did lose my train of thought I'm sorry no that's fine I was going to just interject about uh, being a huge Celtics fan growing up I always remember uh, what a tradition you have Red Arbuck and one thing I I always get upset with people if it doesn't matter the sport is when people compare players they say is jordan better is well you know is bird better these different ones and for me when they if you talk about titles and and you're right there that's your hometown i always remember why doesn't people maybe it's because of uh the years that he played but why isn't bill russell mentioned in the mix of how many titles he won i mean it was a i mean a dynasty is not even the word for the dominance that celtics had back in his era it's not forgotten around here, I can assure you. When I know that as long as I'm alive, I'll be pounding those drums about for Bill Russell. Uh, the greatest documented win. This is an easy statement because it's irrefutable. It's not, it's no, there's no counter argument. Uh, in terms of team sport athletes in North America, uh, which so we must take into account the NHL, uh, in terms of team sport athletes in North America, uh, he's the greatest documented winner in history of, of America. Uh, and let me just succinctly put it, and it's not just restricted to the 11 championships in the 13 years, of which he was the only guy that was on the championship team in 57 and the championship team in 69. But from 1955, when he was a junior at US, uh, USF, until in the 54-55 season, until 1969, he competed for 16 championships, which wow. would include two NCAA championships, the 1956 Olympics, and 13 NBA seasons. In those 16 seasons, his teams won 14, and he was wow. the key player on all 14. 
Now, that's it. That's the end of the argument. There's only discussion of who's in second place. He's the greatest documented winner in American team sport history. Uh, athletically speaking, he was a far, 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 far ahead of his time. The reason right. he was so dominant it was twofold. His athleticism was superb. It was, uh, he, was, uh, he, 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 he could run faster than 90% of the guards up and down the floor at 6'9". He had extraordinary leaping ability. He had extraordinary timing. But all the athletic ability uh, is one thing. He was the smartest guy on the floor in just about every game he ever played. He figured out he was a master psychologist and, and, and just a master uh, a tactician. And, uh, and, 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 and ultimately, he was out there to do one thing, to win the game. I sound like a, a, you know, our, our friend out in the ASU. But he's out there to win the game, and that was his purpose. And, and, uh, uh, and, and, and to I, I hate this phrase, make other players better, uh, uh, because I just think that's a little you know highfalutin i just think but he did have a way of complementing his skills to enable the others to flourish how's that uh uh he complemented the skills of the others uh in a way that enabled them to flourish i don't know about making people better i don't know that's you can, we can phrase it any way you like but um bill russell should be when you're talking about the two greatest the greatest players in nba history and you have to we we know that we're talking about now a span in his case, now that goes back to 1956, so a span of of, of close to of, of seven decades, uh, the game has changed radically to the point now where it's a three-point mania game that is very different than even the game that Jordan played or that Bird played. Right. Okay, we know that, or or the one that say Kobe Bryant started out playing in, in, in 1997. So it's a different game now, um, uh, and that has to be taken into consideration. But when you're talking about impact in the time that they played. You can argue with the greatest two players in the league, and, and one and one A, and I don't. And you want to go whichever way you want to go, you know, fine. It's Jordan and, and Russell. It's Russell and Jordan, and that's who it is. And then you draw a line, and then we start the argument. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad to have you on because people look at me. I guess it's because of again the uh, age range. I'm 47, so I, I don't. This right before Russell played before my era, obviously, but I have a deep amount of respect for him and. And uh, so I wanted to mention that in the interview. As far as uh, the Celtics go as an organization uh, currently, do you see them ever having the the kind of uh, – it was kind of it seemed like to me in the 80s when you saw them get on that starting five that I alluded to um, when you have the backcourt of Ainge and Johnson and then you have with uh, – so that front court is one of the best front courts I've ever seen in basketball. I don't know about you, and I'm I'm not just saying that. I really mean that. Well, it was the best front court ever, and, and the game, there's nothing to compare it to it today. Uh, and the game is not oriented toward the front court now as much as it right. was. Um, but the reason it was the greatest front court ever was that the coming off the bench was a unique, and I'm using this word very specifically, a unique force in the history of the NBA. There have been great six men, John Halvacek being the best, uh, who right. played a conventional way coming off to play guard or forward. But only one six-man of the year, one six-man radically changed games from the center position, and, 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 and that was Bill Walton in that one glorious year when he was healthy enough to play 80 games, 15 more than he had ever played any other season. <laughs> and, and he was healthy to play 80 games uh, that year, which was a blessing for both himself and the team and, of course, ultimately for the fans and those of us who love to watch great basketball. Bill Walton coming off the bench changed games in a way that have never been changed before or since, and he gave them the greatest one-two center punch in the history of the league. Uh, and they they were the best front court. There's no question. Then the, the coming off the bench behind them was a a one time or a couple time All Star who was a, a terrific offensive player, Scotty Wedman. 
so Scott mm-hmm. Wedman. So uh, that was the best front court. Uh, and there's anybody that wants to talk about anything subsequent to that, they just don't know what they're talking about. And as Bob, as far as uh, the best rivalry of all time, would it be? I'm a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s. Would it be? The Showtime Lakers and the Celtics, would you think that, or is there one that's been even beyond my years? I, I, you know, obviously we're biased here. Uh, we, that, to me, is the most, uh, uh, if you're going to write, write, rank NBA rivalries, I, I don't think there'd be much of dispute. Even anywhere, Chicago didn't have a rival of that nature. They did have an early one with Detroit, but there was right. never one afterward. Uh, uh, Actually, the Celtics have two of the greatest rivalries, and, and the second one being a rivalry with Philadelphia, which took root in the 50s when, and, and technically took root in the 60s when Wilt showed up in 1959, and, and they spent 10 years against, playing against each other. Wilt and Russell, who played 142 games against each other, not counting wow. exhibitions. Not counting exhibitions, which were plentiful those days when teams were playing upwards of 20 exhibitions. Yes, I had, you heard me correctly, folks. They were playing upwards of 20 exhibitions, wow. roaming high school gyms all over their, their region. Um, oh, I just want to go back so people don't think I've, I've been touched by early senility. What I was going to say about Bird. Bird came along 10 years into my career, 1979. I had been around for, since 69, and I had seen a lot of great basketball. And it was as if I signed up for an art course. Okay, and did not know who the teacher was, but I just signed up for the course. Sounded good, and in walks the teacher, Michelangelo. That's what Bird was like entering my life in 1979. He was the embodiment of everything that I loved about basketball in one package, and and they'd be on the front row seat of it from day, you know, from the middle of of the summer of 1979 when I did my first article on him, which was for. Us magazine, believe it or not, and uh, and from that that was the beginning of, of building a relationship with Larry, and uh, uh, it, it, it's and you know he's uh, my friend Mike Lupica likes to talk about uh, Michael Jordan being the main event of his writing life. Well, Larry was the main event of mine. I wrote more words about Larry Bird than I did about any other athlete during my time. And he's uh, definitely one of the greatest, and I had forgotten. On that. There was so many things about the last dance. What's your take on that? Did you enjoy it, uh, being that you covered the NBA for so many years? I enjoyed it because uh, and it was, I was rekindling memories. Naturally, I lived through that era entirely. Remember Michael coming in. Remember the first game he played in Boston, and Larry Bird said, "That's the greatest player I've ever seen." And and uh, we went, "Oh my God!" You know, he got 29 points. It wasn't, but Larry recognized that this was something new and different. You know, he and Magic were one thing. They were the king uh, of the two co-kings of the league at that time. Uh, and there comes this young prince who was uh, playing the game in the air in a way that they didn't, and they both respected it and saw things in him that, that you know, told them that he was going to be the next heir to the throne, which, of course, he was. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's that. Uh, but, uh, but the Larry Bird was, the, was, was the, uh, the main event for me, and I'm just so grateful that, you know, he walked into my gym joint. I, I did steal that line one year. Of all the gym, gym joints in all the world, he walked into mine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can quote me. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Yeah, he's he's one of the greatest. Uh, what, as far as the Celtics now, do you you see them building something special? I mean, you cover, you're there in the in there. Oh, they're, they're, they're a nice they're a nice team, a contender. They're on the fringe. They're they're, right. they're right now. They would sit. They would be in a, a, a four or five game with Philly in the East. Uh, they're they're a little bit better than uh, they can be better than that. They've got some. Uh, a, 
couple a great young forward duo. I hope they can stay together for a long time. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, they've got a lot of components, and of course Kemba Walker has kind of come over and was having a fine year. Um, they're, they're they're good, and and um, and, and I. Uh, we, we're happy to have them. They're, they're, they're a fun team to watch. They, they they play the right way. I think they got a wonderful coach who's great to deal with, and, and you know what a what a class act Brad Stevens is. And so we're in good shape here. You know we're not in Milwaukee right now. That's theirs to win or lose. I think in the East that's fine. Good for them. You know I'm happy for Milwaukee too. By the way, I've always liked Milwaukee as a city, and they were kind of blah for so long, and then suddenly. Yeah. Now, yeah, well, and that was too bad. They were just an afterthought in the league, and I always enjoyed going there. God, I, you know, love those brats, love those bars, and and uh, you know, I and loved the people. The gamuchakite of Milwaukee was very real. I loved it. it was, I always said going to a game there was like going to a county fair. Oh, that was the cool. atmosphere, you know. And and, yeah. uh, and uh, different cities have their different atmospheres. New York, you know, the Massacre Garden was like going to a board meeting. But but uh, and Chicago Stadium will never be, you know replicated for its special flavor and and um, and now Milwaukee was always a fun place to go anyway Celtics are good and I'm you know I'm looking forward to getting back and and, and seeing them play again um, Bob as far as uh, I know that you've covered so many big sporting events do you have any special memories I know there's we could spend hours talking about every oh, Super yeah, Bowl that's and all that. But how many, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I, people, you go and speak, and people will obviously they ask you in the Q and A, what's your favorite film? And I don't have a thing. I go by sports, you know, Boston memories and all that. Uh, it's just so hard. You know, I just the first time is a good best time. Covering my first championship team in 1974 when the Celtics won uh, was was a thrill, and covering my last championship team when the Bruins won in 2011 because it gave me a chance to look at people in the eye and say I covered championships in all four major sports i covered oh, them i was great. there when they won it when they when they uh, i was there i was obviously I was there for multiple celtics ones i was there for multiple patriots i was there for multiple uh, uh celtics uh, i said the red sox that was a uh, course when them winning in 04 was you know epic in, in this city and then uh uh, I was there in, when the Bruins won in, in Vancouver in 2011, and it was a uh, and, and it was really a thrill. Uh, but the, the over the the outlier uh, for me in terms of the bonus that I never anticipated, never factored in when I started the Globe in 1968 as a summer intern, I didn't even factor in the Olympics. And I went up going to 11 of them, and six summer, five winter, and and they provided me with some of the greatest, uh, you know, just uh, journalistic uh, highs, I guess that I ever had. Is there a story that you missed that you wish had you were you had taken the assignment or there are some that you that as you far know as what like I always wanted to go to and I never it was just because of the conf- conflict uh, with the NBA playoffs and finals always. But I always want to go to College World Series. Oh wow. I would have liked to have spent a week and, and, and not cover every day, but do a re- overview, you know, go as a magazine writer. Go and, and, and spend a week because I did. I used to write a lot of features and, and on and off over the years. I love doing features, and I always wanted to go to Omaha, but only to Rosenblatt. You know, I'm not interested now. Forget it. I don't want to go there. I, don't wanna, <laughs> I wanted to go to Rosenblatt, uh, and I wanted to go to the College World Series. That would. I mean, a lot of people won't. won't that won't be high on a lot of people's lists, but I love baseball. Number one, and ever since when I was at BC, Boston College, in 1967, we went. And uh, I, uh, my best friend was the manager of the team, the team manager, and and he was rhapsodizing about the whole flavor and and the way it worked and everything. And when we actually won a game, we beat Ryder College, and then we played Arizona State. Here's a story for you: we played Arizona State, Boston College, uh, in New England. You get to play if you're lucky, 20 games. They had a pitching staff with three guys who each had won more games than the entire BC team. Wow. <laughs> 
and well, naturally, naturally, we didn't beat them. <laughs> as far as that was a nice segue for, I was going to ask you about one of the best, I think, comebacks in the history of all of sports. And as far, speaking of rivalries with the Red Sox and the Yankees, uh, their 2000, was it 2004 with the... 2004, now, oh God, that juxtaposition. I walked out, as did we all did, we trooped out of the... Uh, <coughs> Fenway Park on Saturday night after Game Three, final score nineteen to eight, and and the gist of my column was, okay, folks, you all wanted the Yankees, well, you got them. You happy now? And and <laughs> obviously you're O three, and no one's ever come back O three in baseball. And we all knew it. And then everything that transpired from that point on. The next two nights of what I tell people, these are my baseball highlight. The two games together, uh, Game Four and Five, each. Uh, together were, were more than five-hour games, so we had almost 11, over 11 hours of baseball ending on the same calendar day because Game 4 ended after midnight and Game 5 started at 5 p.m. the next day. And uh, so we, uh, But the two combinations of those two games uh, uh, were, were, were hard to beat. And then Game 6 was the bloody sock game. And Game yeah. 7 was almost anticlimactic because the Yankees didn't hit no way to pitch. Kevin Brown was not doing well, and they, they had to pitch him. And Johnny Damon hits a grand slam in the second inning, and so much for that. <laughs> and uh, that, that uh, but that, yeah, that, that comeback will, will never, ever, 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 uh, you know, be forgotten around here. Did you ever believe in the curse of the Bambino? No, of course, that's a lot of nonsense. And, and, okay. But I just want to tell you a story about that, though. Because uh, my friend Dan Shaughnessy lived off that. He didn't coin it. And no one knows who coined it. That's like uh, the, the, the thing we, you know, where all the dirty jokes come from. They say they came from prisons. We don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Circa um, two, 1993, uh, a, a friend of a friend, uh, a, a, a Unitarian minister named uh, uh, Daryl, uh, uh, he was... Uh, he told me that there's a there's a story that he once heard that the, the Red Sox selling Babe Ruth to the Yankees was an original sin from which there could be no dispensation, and it was the, that was the curse of the Bambino. He told me that in 1993. I don't know where he heard it, and and uh, other people have tried to claim it, uh, and no one knows if anyone can prove it. Do so because no one knows where it emanated. But that was the idea that the sale of roof to the Yankees was an original sin from which there could be no compensation or no dispensation, and it was the curse of the Bambino. Well, I've never heard that. That's awesome. As far as baseball is concerned, uh, how are your feelings about? I'm hearing all kinds of things across the board, including maybe playing in um, like the Cactus League. You know, having like both uh what would be str- spring training kind of uh, setups in the east and yeah. the west as far as Arizona and and, and uh, Florida is that what you're hearing or what do you think well, uh, you're the expert a, not me no that well I'm waiting to hear some news today uh you know they're talking about that Friday was going to be a day that uh, hopefully there was going to be some resolution uh and 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 even if and particularly on the money thing but um uh I, I there's no. I said earlier. There's no satisfactory answer to all these logistical problems or imperfections. I think the concentrated um, locale thing does make sense in a in, in, in a safety way, in a psychological way. It's going to be awful t- tough on those on everybody concerned. 
and I know how many people are already starting with Mike Trout, uh, who uh, got a pregnant wife, uh, uh, and is saying he doesn't want to be away from the family that long uh, as they're talking. Uh, and, and I'm sure he's not alone, and, and it is, it, uh, it's going to be a tough sell. Tough, tough, tough sell. This is not going to be easy to bring back. Uh, everybody is, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I won't say pessimistic, but I'm skeptical and wary that they're going to figure out a way that, that, they're, going, that they're actually going to be able to put into play and, uh, and that's going to, you know, they won't have somebody saying, hey, I don't want any part of it. So uh, we got a long way to go. But I, I do think that uh, in theory, in, in the strictest abstract theory, yes, uh, uh, that Orlando, I call it the Orlando idea, especially since Disney World and has enough hotel space. If you really wanted to do this, you could do it there. Yes, you could. And the NBA is talking about doing it. Uh, well, that, the, I don't know about the NBA, but the rumors I'm hearing from sports talk is uh, having out in Vegas. Have you heard any more on that? No, but that would be Vegas would uh, welcome them. You know, I know that. I mean, I can I tell you that mayor uh, would, would welcome them. Vegas, the players would would. Even if though they wouldn't be able to, shall we say, partake of the charms of Vegas the way they usually do, <laughs> they might right. they might make them feel somehow uh, uh, better about things to know that they're you know that that's the city of choice. It it has become the getaway city of choice for this generation of NBA players. We all know that, and uh, that might be an easy uh, no, not easy, but an acceptable sell for the majority. I'll put it that way. It sounds like of all the leagues, that's the one that makes the most sense or the one that's definitely more feasible compared to the other ones. Uh, I want to talk about the NFL. Uh, one hot topic, obviously, that you cover the team and the player very much is not there anymore. Tom Brady, what are your thoughts on him leaving, going to Tampa Bay, and what's the life without Tom Brady going to be like? I would like to, just because I'm a sentimentalist and I would like the player of that stature to have had a, a call it a uh, Brooks Robinson, uh, Cal Ripken, uh, De- Derek Jeter career, even in Boston, a Carl Yostrzemski, right. Ted Williams, Bill Russell, Larry Bird career, do it all here. Uh, that would have been nice. But, you know, we've, we've gone through this with Bobby Orr, you know, 50, 40 years ago, 43 years ago. Um, but uh, I would have liked to have done that. Well, now, and we've now learned, as the story has unfolded, that it was a, a mutual agreement here, for the most part. Uh, Bill Belichick didn't go kicking and screaming to Bob Kraft and say, you got to sign him, you got to sign him, i got to have him, i got to have him. He didn't do it. because, And he was ready to move on. You have to understand, he was ready to move on, we think, we being the majority of the media, uh, uh, three years ago with the Jimmy Garoppolo thing. He did not want to make that trade. Something went down between Kraft and, uh, I was going to say Bledsoe, Kraft and Brady uh, at the time because clearly uh, Bill uh, Belichick doesn't do things in haste. It was a hastily conceived trade. Sent him right. to a safe haven, a, a town, a city, uh, an organization he liked and respected. He didn't exile him to some football Siberia. Uh, and took, 50, what, how much on the dollar? 70 cents? 60, 50, 42? I don't know. But he didn't get 100% on the dollar for the trade. Uh, he liked Garoppolo. He thought he was ready to cut the cord then and move on and transition. And I think he's ready now. Uh, I think uh, that. Now, as far as Brady's concerned, We'll see what he's got left. He had a legitimate complaint about lack of weaponry last year, but we all saw him play uh, the 16 games, and we saw bounce passes and behind him and in front of him and overthrown and, and as, uh, as well. Uh, he wasn't uh, sharp. Uh, can we blame it all on the receivers? Was it just the communication? I don't know. We're going to find out. He's going to have a lot of good weapons in Tampa. Uh, everyone knows that. Uh, a great one-two receiving core, decent tight end situation, the whole package. So, um I, I we'll see. As far as Tom Brady in general, let me just say this. Now he's talking. He's got. He's been peddling this uh, uh, this 
business about this uh, immune thing uh, that, you know, uh, I don't want to, he's gotten weird. This, I'll be very polite. I'll pick my words carefully. <laughs> he's gotten very, very weird. Uh, he's gotten, he's, become a, he's, he's almost gotten Michael, Jack, Michael Jackson weird. He's gotten weird, weirder and weirder as time goes on. I'm sorry. Ceasing to be a, 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 a I can't relate to him as a person anymore. Uh, so, um, good, you know, have fun, you know, have fun with him in Tampa. But this whole idea of, of his production company, he's going to do nine-point series on himself. I'm not really, I don't really, I, and I don't know what they're going to tell us, but I, I'm, I'm not interested. As far as uh, one thing that comes to mind, speaking of Tom Brady, this made-for-TV event, are you a fan of having, uh, what is it, uh, Tiger Phil, and you have uh, Tom you know Brady? What? I'm going to be, I'm going to have to watch it because of uh, I do a podcast with Mike Lupica and Mitch Album on Monday, um, and I know how much Mike loves golf. Mike, Mike is a major, major, major golf guy. He's watching, and I know he's going to want to talk about it. And so uh, I got a lot of TV watching to do on Sunday because I got to watch that. And I want to see the Lance Armstrong thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I, I actually got a taste. I covered the 04 five, uh, last three days of the of the tour, and when when I bought and I I wanted to believe him. I was a I was a red, white, and blue flag waving American. Oh, those those French and I love France by the way. But those French French are, are you know they're just sorry sore because they never win and they they don't they start, they haven't won in, in 40 years and. Uh, you know, and, and they're and they're they're hounding him, and 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 you know, damn it, this this guy wouldn't put anything bad in his body. He's a cancer survivor. I bought, I bought it. Okay, well, uh, and we all know what a nefarious, you know, ruthless, vicious person that he was, ruining lives. And uh, I'm 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 curious about this one. I want to see that. It's going to be fantastic. And I know there is. Are there any thirty for thirties that? You think that ESPN, uh, your company that you've worked for for many years, do you think there's one that they haven't done or should do? I don't know. I, I, you know, it's been there's been Larry and Magic's been out there. That that could be one, I guess. Uh, I'd have to think about it. Um, I don't know. I, 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 that's a good question. I'm not. I, you hit me pretty cold. <laughs> I, I don't. I guess I don't have a. You no, know, I don't have a great uh, passion for it. I'm trying. I mean, uh, for the answer, I'm trying to think. You know what? I'm going to come up with the answer. Of course, you know, five minutes after we hang up. But uh, uh, let me think about that one. If there's ever a round two. <laughs> All right. For sure, Bob. I appreciate your time. I wanted to see uh, you're talking about the podcast. Can you tell us uh, that podcast and other things you're working on right now? Yeah, I'm a part of two podcasts, and uh, yeah, they're on all the available, the usual. First of all, all the the, the usual suspects, the Stitcher and the Apple and Podcast, Apple and all that. The usual places I tell people for for non-technical people like myself. But I do one Monday and Thursdays with Mike Lupica and Mitch Album. It's a reincarnation of our sports reporters relationship that dated back to 1989. <laughs> And as you pointed out, we ceased it in 2017. Uh, and uh, I do one with Jeff Goodman, who's terrific on basketball and kind of a uh, uh, uncle-nephew kind of thing there age-wise in terms of uh, my basketball experience and his incredible knowledge of the contemporary scene, which starts in high schools and recruiting and college and the NBA. This guy's, this guy's got his fingers in all the pies, and we're having fun with it with a podcast. We've, our current one has an interview with George Niang, who uh, as a local kid makes good for us, but what a conversationalist. Uh, I'm now a fan of the Utah Jazz. I want George Niang on my team. So uh, that's out there, and uh, that's out once a week. What about your books? I guess I can get them from Amazon. I know we talked about the one about yeah, the I guess, uh, Yeah, I um, guess I've done 14 books, and, and uh, the latest one uh, was my autobiography book called Scribe, My Life in Sports, uh, which uh, I was really, you know, I was, I was pleased with it, uh, and that came out in 2014. 
So if I had to do any updating, it would have to be on the Patriots. So imagine, you thought it was a hell of a story then. Imagine all the things that we could write about subsequent to 2014 with regard to the Patriots. But uh, um, it's, uh, I'm proud of the book, and, it's, it's, uh, and, and uh, that's out there, and I know it's available on, on Amazon uh, called Scribe, My Life in Sports. Bob, what a huge pleasure, huge honor to have you on our show. And we've been going for two years now and uh, on the bucket list. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you'll come back and join us again for a visit. Not good. Let's do it again. That'd be great. We appreciate it, Bob. Um, I'll tell you what, Dave, I really hate that I cannot take part in that interview because um, I certainly look forward to asking him some questions about a number of topics, but especially the, the Celtics of the 1980s. And that was my team growing up. I love Larry Bird, and yeah. I really wanted to – have the opportunity to ask him about Larry, but I did have the opportunity to, I've already gone back and listened to it this morning when I was on my morning jog. And I tell you, um, it was great stuff. And just like you had said, as soon as the interview was over and just hearing what he had to say about Larry Bird, he described it. Um, he said it was as though you were signing up for an art class and Michelangelo walked in to be your professor. So yeah, that was that was. Such a I, I thought analogy. I thought that was an awesome analogy, and that's and that's one um, kind of a sneak peek, sneak peek, excuse me, of this interview that I put out on social media. Um, just I thought that was an awesome quote, and uh, so just seeing that one minute or so clip on uh, Twitter and Facebook, I'm sure has some people ready to hear this interview. No question about it. It was a bit. It was just a great time, and he uh, he was a great guy, and we could have talked. I told you that. we could, He and I could have talked for – I could talk to him anyway for an hour or more and uh, didn't want to go too long with him. I didn't know how – he's such a great guy. I didn't know how long he wanted to really do the interview. Uh, so it's one of those things you grow up – you've always – when you grow up and you're in broadcasting, he's one of the ones you've always wanted to have on, and – um, you made that happen, so thank you, Bubba. I hate that as well that you couldn't be on there with us, but uh, great. Uh, one thing that we always hear many people that we know personally and not personally always say is that we have great guests. We heard that again from Jay Sunhalter last night um, doing trivia. We have trivia every Friday night, folks. Love to have you. And uh, Jay was with us, and he mentioned that to us. And uh, appreciate Jay very much. It was great to catch up with uh, Sonny. Uh, Bubba, I'll tell you what, very excited about, uh, we have our big promotion. A lot of people have been, there's a lot, been a lot of buzz about it, about the uh, football season ticket sweepstakes and uh, tell people how they uh, go about this is your baby as far as the contest itself. Well, we came up with the idea months ago, folks, and been waiting to get through this contest, but because of COVID, we didn't think it was the right thing to do. And so we waited till things are better. To uh, put the promotion out, but anyway, tell folks how they can be a part and how they have a chance to win a pair of season tickets for ECU football. Yeah, giving away two East Carolina football season tickets. Uh, obviously, six home games, a tremendous home schedule. Um, we have um, the, the likes of Navy, uh, Tulane, who's been steadily improving in recent years. UCF on a Thursday night. Uh, Marshall, um, that game's going to be so, uh, so meaningful uh, with it being the 50th anniversary of the horrific plane crash, and then obviously some a couple other games as well, um, SMU and Norfolk State. Um, but tremendous home schedule, and our, our schedule overall was ranked 21st by uh, Phil Steele. Um, but um, just 
as far as the contest is concerned, the way you enter your name into the hat, uh, you, you actually have four ways you can do so. So you can have anywhere from one to four chances to win these season tickets. Uh, you can go to Twitter at the Sports OBJ. We have a pinned tweet um, just outlining the, the details of the contest. So you need to follow us and then retweet uh, and like that, that pinned tweet. So that will put your name in the hat once. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, like and follow our uh, page on Facebook, and make sure it's the make sure it's the page, not not the group. So you should see a pin a pin post there on Facebook. Uh, share it, and like I said, like and follow. So that's the second way you can um, respond to to that post or reply on Twitter uh, with a screenshot showing that you subscribe to our YouTube account. Also, you can subscribe um, wherever wherever you listen to the show, be it Audio Boom, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, etc. Screenshot that proof and reply either on Twitter or Facebook to the pinned post or tweet. And um, those are the four different ways you can put your name in the hat. And this will be going on to at least June the 30th is when we'll announce the winner of these two tickets. Can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, folks, thank you for the the interest. A lot of people are showing interest already, and people are surprised that we're giving that away, but we want to do something special for the university, and we want to give away these tickets as a way to create buzz and excitement, anything we can do. Uh, they they have uh, 4,600, Bubba told me last week, uh, tickets sold so far, and they're trying to, they've reduced the goal to 10,000. Uh, man, uh, that, that's the lowest I've ever heard of. I don't know. You've been following your whole entire life, Bubba. Um, I was 13 when I started, so that was when you were, like, what, six years old, um, five years old. But uh, during that time, I've never heard of only 10,000 season tickets. Maybe they had, but not in my adult lifetime since I've gone to college. I can't remember being that low. Yeah, as far as season ticket numbers, even as closely as I followed the program, uh, some information like that uh, wasn't something that I – I'm sure I heard the numbers at the time, but uh, right. as much as I do recall, and as far as remembering scores and details of games and stuff, I, I do not recall uh, how many season tickets we were selling back in the um, the days of Steve Logan or, or right. uh, pr- prior to that with Art Baker and uh, Bill Lewis. But uh, and of course, then our stadium was at 35,000 seats uh, up until. Um, 1997 when we when we had the temporary seats because the the upper deck project on the north side was running behind schedule and then of course we had that 8,000 seat addition with a club level and and uh, upper deck uh, debut for the 98 season but yeah um, it's certainly the lowest in a long time uh, and if not if not ever uh, and that would be something interesting to. Like Maybe we can you know, that. you know, back in the Pat Pat Dye era, like when we were yeah. so good and we had good crowds, but I, it'd be interesting to see uh, how much season tickets were pushed and sold back then and stuff. Right, no doubt, and um, a lot of great games there. And you know, if we're playing, you know, whatever school, it doesn't matter. You're a pirate. Go ahead. It doesn't matter if you've been mad in the past. It doesn't matter if you're mad with recent decisions. Whatever. Go ahead and support the program. Uh, we can't afford to uh, – We're our backs are against the wall. If we continue to lose money, we're not going to be Division One anymore. And I'm not trying to say that's going to happen, 
or to put fear out there. I'm just telling you folks that um, crazy things, who would have ever thought we'd be wearing a mask, right, Bubba? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, been, it's been crazy. Yeah, talking about wearing a mask, um, kind of an interesting article. I haven't had the opportunity to read it yet, but interesting from the standpoint the the picture that accompanies this article, uh, Nancy Blair Reese, diehard pirate, uh, part of our the Pirates Cove uh, page, and I know she's active on our um, the sports objective page as well. But uh, Nancy posted an article, I'm not sure the publication, but it was from 1918 when the, the Spanish flu, I guess it was, was that pandemic was wreaking havoc with the country. But and people in attendance at the game um, with mask on, so pretty pretty crazy considering what's going on now, 102 years later. Yeah, it is. It just goes to show you, history repeats itself, and uh, we want to make sure that everybody's safe. And if that's what it takes to see a game, I know our good friend Andrew, he uh, he had a funny comment, didn't he, about that? Yeah, you you read my mind. I was going to bring that up, uh, Andrew D. Giovanni. Uh, Loyal listener to the podcast, and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, great guy. I um, believe he's in the Raleigh area, but yeah. diehard pirate. And Andrew was just—he's so ready for pirate football. He said he responded under that article link, saying, "Hey, I don't care if I have to wear a full hazmat suit or whatever. Whatever we need to do." <laughs> and Andrew, we, don't be a stranger, man. We had talked in and a good while and had him on, so we'll have to do that uh, again real soon. One of my uh, good Pirates' favorite people, and so I want to give him a shout-out, no doubt. And Bubba, yeah. you, uh, are there any news or comments you want to make before we go? We've had a, Yeah, let's, uh, plug our, let's plug our upcoming content. Okay. Um, a big week planned for you. Um, at least some of this will be on Facebook and YouTube Live, if not all of it. And then, of course, all of those are archived in both of those platforms, or on both of those platforms, I should say. And then... Um, the audio only everywhere you typically listen to our podcast. But, uh, yeah, our upcoming shows on, on Wednesday night, 7 p.m., uh, we will be joined on Facebook Live by, um, first, Adam Gold. Adam Gold uh, has had a sports show, um, sports talk radio in the Raleigh area for years. Um, but uh, here now that David Glenn is no longer syndicated statewide, um, Adam Gold, uh, I guess it's kind of filling that slot uh, across the state of North Carolina on a number of stations. Uh, so I know you appeared on his show last week, uh, excellent interview. Uh, we're having him uh, on our turf this time. So uh, we'll talk a variety of topics with Adam. And then um, about the last 45 minutes or so of the show, um, we'll be joined by Big E, Eric Graham. Uh, Eric, of course, uh, he, he played for three different Pirate coaches, was brought in by Steve Logan, uh, in his final year and then played for John Thompson and Skip Holtz and uh, was an all-conference USA lineman and, of course, now does an excellent job on the radio breaking things down on 94.3 The Game, on um, the official station of the Pirates. So um, we certainly have a tremendous amount of respect for Eric for what he accomplished on the field, and, uh, and he certainly uh, does an excellent job of dissecting things and put it in, oh, yeah. layman, put it in layman's terms where the average fan – that doesn't know but so much about football can can understand it. Uh, excellent insights from uh, Big E, and we look forward to talking pirate football with him Wednesday evening. And then on Thursday, we'll have another matinee. For our listeners and viewers, we will be catching up with 
It's hard to believe, Dave, he's entering the third year of his second tenure. Joe Dooley will rejoin the program and we'll talk East Carolina Pirate basketball. Yeah, Bob, it really is hard to believe it's his third year. I'm very excited to have him on. He's uh, been tremendous for the program and looking forward to uh, talking to him some hoops and get his perspective on things and how we're going to make the transition to uh, life without Coach Chills and uh, certainly maybe uh, talk uh, any, I guess, the commitments we can talk about um, that have been on the uh, the page. And uh, it'll be great to see him and talk to him and um, appreciate him being back in the program. It really, this is the most excited I've been about basketball in a really long time, and it's because of Coach Dooley. Yeah, absolutely. And we look forward to talking, like you say, about um, the additions to the roster. Obviously nowhere near what transpired last year with the major roster overhaul, but we do have two new scholarship players coming in with Derek Kwanzaa and then, of course, Noah Faircon from up in Jersey. Um, Kind of uh, Coach Dooley going back to his roots and um, drawing on those relationships. So um excited about discussing those two guys and just the general overview of the program, uh, how guys have been handling these uh, individual workouts at home and so forth. Uh, we'll talk scheduling. A lot of the announcements have kind of, not necessarily through ECU Pirates yet, but um, announcements have been broken by uh, other schools in terms of scheduling, um, like James Madison on Old Dominion, uh, Southern Mississippi. So we have some uh, – it's not necessarily where we want it to be, but but Old Dominion's been very good in recent years under Jeff Jones, and we're, we're looking forward to uh, talking about the schedule with Coach Dooley and uh, I'm sure a num- number of topics. Yeah, he's going to be fantastic and uh, just really, really excited about the fruits we had and the additions last year and what he's doing this year. and. It's going to be great. Rock the forge the whole nine yards. Uh, right, George Wright Easy and Ken Potasnik, all those guys are fantastic. So he's going to be great whoever he whoever he picks for sure. Uh, hey, have- kind of, yeah, kind of one thing that I did want to bring up right quick. Okay. I just got I just got an alert uh, from ESPN. Something very unique. Um, obviously, folks um, trying to generate some revenue and a in a lot of unorthodox ways right now with everything that's going on. And I saw that the Minnesota Twins AA affiliate down in Pensacola, they are, they have listed their ballpark on a Airbnb. So for $1,500, 10 people or less are able to, to rent the ballpark for, for, uh, for one night. Hey, Hey, that sounds like the, the Rosa bombs can do that, man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So if you're if, if if you're listening to the show, any pirates listening to the show down in Florida, you wanna you wanna uh, rent a ballpark for a night for fifteen hundred bucks? Uh, now's your chance. That's that's interesting, but uh, but it makes sense because uh, they have no season until next year. So hey, um, like um, I've mentioned on the show, and you know um, the new ballpark here in Kannapolis, it was scheduled to open here a little over a month ago. And so it's setting idle or sitting idle, I should say. And then I've had the opportunity to walk around it. They've opened the gates. Um, and so a lot of folks are walking and jogging through there. And it's extremely nice. It's a shame that it looks like no baseball may be played there until next April. 
but may, maybe they'll do that with uh, Atrium Health Ballpark here in Kannapolis. Maybe, maybe uh, some friends and I we can rent Atrium Health Ballpark for a, a nice uh, birthday party for Reese in August or something. It does. It really, really does. And hopefully we can. Uh, it'd be nice to get back to um, this year. Be unique, you know, and then next year. It'll be actually Reese can have the birthday party this year, and then next year you can go back and have a, a baseball again, right? Yeah, and maybe we can have uh, when the Pirates are playing a road game. Maybe the Charlotte Pirate Club. Maybe we can rent uh, Atrium Health Ballpark and and watch the East Carolina football game on the on the jumbotron out in left field. And that that would be uh, a surreal oh, experience. <laughs> I think I really cool. I think I think I'll pitch pitch that idea. Yeah, we we need to spend money on something, right? Um, yeah. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Everybody gets mad at me, I'm sure. But it's, uh, you know, we're going to get through this. And um, I've, I've said it many times, we're going to have a plan. I believe in the administration. So uh, that's what I'm looking for now. Uh, we did what we did. And so that's what I'm asking for is when you make those decisions, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent like I did the other night, um, but I really believe that you've got to do it, you know? So, yeah. Any, yeah. As any, far as on that front with regards to swimming and diving on the men's and women's side, getting cut and then also men's women's and t- men's and women's tennis. Um, something I wanted to chime in with as far as all those student athletes are concerned. Um, and this is some, a lot of folks know this, and then there are a lot of folks who um, don't realize this. Obviously, in football, men's basketball, uh, women's basketball, when you're on a scholarship, you're on that. I mean, you have the entire, you have a full ride. That's what it's often called. But in those sports, in those Olympic sports, those scholarships are split up. And, and this is something I, of course, knew, but the reason I wanted to kind of bring it to light for those who may not realize it is because, um, Coach Jabs um, actually mentioned that that his student athletes are paying um, quite a bit of money to attend East Carolina University, and, and I know it's the same way around the country. I'm not yep. saying that, but but just that's something to take into consideration. It's not like these. I mean, it, not that it would make it easy if they were on a full ride, but even right. more so, even more so, how committed they were to East Carolina University that were receiving part of a scholarship, some more than others, that they were right. paying they were, they were paying a percentage of their way, some a pretty hefty percentage of their way. And I right. know with everybody paying out of pocket, they were they were spending uh, a pretty large sum of money to say the least. Yeah, over half a million dollars, but a lot of money. And um you know we'll uh one way or another I'm hoping to see that maybe that people you know, maybe this is this is something I thought about this morning, and I'm going to spring this upon you. Uh, I was going to wait to do this with you and Kyle, but uh, this is a great time as ever, and then we'll get out of here. Um, but UAB lost their football team, right? And it's not the same as because it's football, I understand, but uh, losing the swim team especially, maybe people will uh, see, don't know what you got until it's gone, and maybe they'll see that we've won a lot of conference. We've been dominant in conference championships with the Americans. It's just ironic. I'll just say this. And I'll shut up. It's just ironic that we say that we can't compete 
in the American, but yet we win a lot in swimming and we cut that sport. I'll just I'll just say that, and people can get mad at me for saying it, but it's true. We win all the time since Rick Kobe, and now with Coach Jabs taking over, they win all the time, and um, including sending people off to the NCAA tournament, of course, and the meets there. But anyway, um, I could talk for hours, and I'm not. And I know uh, one other interesting thing, uh, not to go into great detail about it, but I shared it with you and Kyle this morning. I know um, the University of Memphis, they've obviously made huge facility upgrades in recent years, and uh, they continue to do so. They are opening a new indoor practice facility like we desperately need. And I certainly I don't know all the details. Um, the article could be incorrect. Who knows? But I found it very interesting that the the price tag of this building, according to the article, uh, was eight point eight million dollars. So you know we've heard about twenty million, fifteen to twenty million dollars. So I think we can may not have everything that we want it to have, but from what I read of the article, it, it's a full full length field. You know, one hundred and twenty yards plus. I mean, with, right. with the with the room at the end of each field, and I mean at each end of the field, and um, I'm sure it's not completely bare bones, and it certainly not cheap. But eight eight point eight million dollars—that's about half of the price tag we've been hearing. Uh, and so maybe during this time, uh, it's a shame that we don't have the opportunity to uh, spend funds on that now or get that project rolling because. I don't know. I may be totally off base on this, but but maybe uh, maybe construction costs are down now. Uh, I don't know, but yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, well, my point is about this whole thing is, okay, we're in debt now, but we're not going to, and we need to have a plan right now, knowing that okay, it's going to cost us this much to get out of debt. And then uh, we've got to go ahead and uh, pay for this, you know, the the uh, practice facility. And you can't build a practice facility in the next year. It's going to take time to plan for that. So you need to go ahead and plan for that, and we're not doing that. We're talking about it behind the scenes, but we're not doing anything, and that's where I have a problem. So um, I don't know what else to I don't know what else to say, but I mean, it, it really is it really is that 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 simple. I mean, so, so anyway, yeah. I mean, that's something that unfortunately I don't think is going to be unveiled in the very near future and with everything that's going on uh, for sure but hey, the best way to, to allow us to get back in a position where, where that conversation can happen and we can start presenting that vision etc is just is by I, mean, I know we're preaching in the choir here but join the pirate club do whatever you your situation allows you to do for the pirates and if, if everybody that loves the pirates and says they love the pirates are doing as much as their situation will allow them to do uh, while keeping their priorities in order then we're going to dig out of this hole sooner rather than later yeah Bob, it's uh it's a situation where we're just going to have to um what i want to see is if we have to have a, i was thinking about this and i don't mean this in a sarcastic way so hopefully it's not taken that way um, but we need a telethon, a radiothon, something where we can get big donors in the room. We've got people right now that can pay off the ten million. So that that's what I'm expecting and um I hope that we can I hope that we can go ahead and uh let's make that happen. We don't need to wallow around in our misery and uh, the last thing I will say is that we're pirates. It'll be nice to have 
Uh, I miss the people that are in the ward building, and I will say this, that had swagger, that had confidence, and um, that they really, you know, maybe they lied and they were, really didn't believe in purple and gold, but right now all we're hearing is gloom and doom, and I'm tired of hearing about gloom and doom. I want to hear about our future is bright, and if it is bright and you want one pirate nation, I see I see that all the time, and it really makes me angry because we keep making decisions that is dividing us, like Earth Day. So don't say one pirate nation um, as a slogan. Really mean it when you say it. When you put on a purple jacket, you put on a purple tie, and you represent the university, really mean it. And really know that you have the best interests of East Carolina at heart and not that you're taking a paycheck or the previous administration looking to be a resume builder. So just keep that in mind that um, that's what we're looking for is how do we get out of here, what do we have to do, and um, I think that we can do that. Uh, we're at a crossroads. We've got to decide if we're Big East Carolina, if we're the East Carolina that a lot of us that listen to this podcast, the people that are on this podcast believe we are, or are we the Greenville Mafia where we don't have any money and we're doing a lot of crazy stuff that should never, ever happen if you're East Carolina. So hopefully uh, we'll hopefully we'll get to uh, – I'm hoping that we'll be able to get to a point where we're at at back at that at least back at that level again where we can have something to be proud of. I'm proud of my university. I'm not proud of what's going on in my university and I'm done. Mic drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Richmond out. But yeah. but no, we appreciate you uh, as always listening wherever you're listening. Um we certainly uh you certainly enjoy discussing the pirates and talking other sports topics and um as of right now the next time we'll rejoin you or you'll have the opportunity to uh, hear us again is on Wednesday night on Facebook and YouTube live uh, when we catch up with Adam Gold and then also um, Big E, Eric Graham former East Carolina offensive lineman we'll talk pirate football with them on Wednesday night alright sounds good thanks to our great guest Jimmy Shaw, Bob Ryan and, of course, appreciate you, Bubba, very much. I am Dave Richmond, and you've been listening to Sports Objective Podcast. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.